Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline podcast. My name is Neil Grogan, and I'm here with Matt Statler. And uh, we are back again, continuing on our four-part series on biblical marriage and navigating marriage and uh, a lot of things uh, we kind of started with. And I'm just going to roll in here, Matt, because we I don't yeah. want to keep people listening too much uh, or for too long. Um, but we started by laying kind of a, a biblical framework for what marriage is. We said that it's the first institution by God. It's meant to be a covenantal relationship between a man and a woman and God for a lifetime, right? And then last week we discussed um, kind of what it looks like to become one flesh or to enter into that one flesh relationship um, and and then what the fall has done. So we called those things, we, we stole them from <laughs> uh, Robert Kellerman. And you want to lay that out, what those four things for, um, you know, leaving like uh, uniting yeah. as one flesh and then what sin introduced that's right so you know we know back in genesis it gives us kind of the story as to why sometimes our marriages become a wreck um and right. the one flesh union we see is leaving our father and mother and cleaving or bonding uh with our spouse cleaving is just a old-fashioned word for bonding and then um we weave and we receive and that weaving is you're writing a new narrative, right? No longer are you two separate entities. You are now one and you are progressing on this journey together. And the second thing then is we receive. And that receiving means you are open with one another. You are um, open to embarrassment. You are open to being ashamed. And so that's what marriage initially looks like. But not too quickly after the institution is created, Satan worms his way in that sly dragon, and he comes in and he starts to, to say some silliness, right? And he gets Eve to take a bite of the forbidden fruit, hand it off to Adam, and they basically try to be their own gods. And right away we see the fallout. There's a broken relationship. They run from the presence of God, who used to be something they would run to, something that they would enjoy the presence of, and now they're running from. And what we start to see is there is shame, there's blame, and then there's claiming, and there's maiming. So shame, blame, claim, and maim. And what happens is, because of the fall, when I feel ashamed, I either want to shame that person through hurting them by maiming them, or I want to blame them in my embarrassment, um, or I claim certain rights. Well, I deserve respect. I should have this. I should have that. And what happens is we begin to hold on to um, the junk that we just want to hold on to, to, to use as weapons, right? And those yeah. weapons are very hard to put away. What's that, uh, that old song and that old saying? We bury the hatchet, but we leave the handle sticking up, right? A lot of times <laughs> we say we forgive, but we're holding on to the weapon. Uh, we're not letting right. it go. And so that's what we see in our marriages. And, and really, it leads us into this, Neil. Um, our marriages can be in crisis mode, can't they? Um, oh, like, yeah, totally. Like snapping a finger. And sometimes those, those crisis modes turn into a snowball effect, and each crisis becomes greater than the last. 
And that's what yeah. we have to begin to, um, to un- I think that's what we want to unpack today is what happens Absolutely. when we've, we've let it snowball. Maybe, maybe you have made some mistakes in your past and held some things and really hurt your spouse in some ways. And then she's hurt you. And so now you are in crisis mode. Maybe it's led to an affair. Um, maybe it's led to um, financial ruin because you are both are just frivolously spending money. Maybe it's led to um, emotional or physical affairs um, or even divorce proceedings. Maybe the papers have been drawn up. And so this is kind of what we want to enter into today is that mindset of when things have happened um, and you have you have snowballs. So instead of the preventative measure, what what are we going to do? We're in crisis mode right now. Yeah. And to be clear, you know. (laughs) <laughs> not every, you know, marital strife is what we would call a crisis, you know, uh, marriage. We're we're talking about there's a full blown wildfire here, right? And uh, we we got to call in the hot shots to try and uh, help put this thing down, uh, right. which is a really good picture if you think about it. Because I think, you know, the, what what you said earlier, Matt, was um, that the enemy starts with or in our own sinful response to these issues, we start with shame, right? And so what I've seen and experienced is that guilt and shame almost works as this uh, fixing and flanking. It gets you stuck in um, like behind enemy lines in an ambush, right? And uh, it'll keep you stuck. Yeah, you'll be pinned down. You get stuck there, right? And so, man, as, as shame is introduced because of... Um, whether something you've done or spouse has done towards you, you tend to want to isolate instead of gathering the help and the resources that you need to continue to walk through this in a God glorifying way or towards authentic biblical repentance uh, laid out for us in second Corinthians seven ten. you know, it gives this this picture of two kinds of sorrow. It says there's a worldly sorrow, at least a destruction. That means that, um, you know, getting caught in your sin, like it, it's painful, right? And uh, we don't like that. And there's consequences for sin and it, it's not fun. Uh, but that's that's worldly sorrow. It, it only only leads you to destruction. It won't lead you to life. Whereas godly sorrow, the Bible says, leads us towards salvation. Um, and so God uses both sal- both types of sorrow to reveal what's going on in us. And, and in the case of a crisis marriage or a marriage in crisis, uh, we see that we'll we'll see immediate amounts of sorrow because, like you said, papers have been filed, divorce proceedings maybe in full swing. Um, an affair has been re- revealed. A secret sin has become public. Um, there is a an entire forest on fire. And so, what do we do? Well, in the case of a wildfire, we would call in. Uh, those hotshots or those, uh, you know, professional forest firefighters that are very specifically trained to help um, combat these things in a way that can protect the town, right? Or protect yeah. the family. I think it's important to note, um, and, and I was glad you kind of pointed it out with uh, that that dragon you spoke of. Um, I feel like the enemy has two main aims uh, of destruction. And uh, uh, deceitfulness, you know, and, and his deception towards man. And it's to keep you from exercising your faith in God 
And I think also it's, he has a generate generational aim. And so he has this, um, ability to, if I can cause or, uh, influence you towards crisis in your faith, then I can then influence your family towards navigating away from, you know, the people of God and, and, and trusting in the Lord. Right. Yeah. We, so, we've all seen the statistics. I mean, the, the secular oh, yeah. world is very aware of the fallout from a divorce to families, generations, yeah. suicide yeah. rates, depression, the whole nine. Uh, yeah. Neil, one of the things I do want to bring up, and we're not talking just about the devil and his abilities, but mm-hmm. as combat guys, what we do recognize is that there are two kind of objectives with an enemy force. We either want to destroy yeah. them or we want to neutralize them, right? We want right. to make them combat ineffective or we want to completely wipe them out. And I think that's what Satan does with our, our marriages. He wants to neutralize us so that we're so busy fighting each other that we're not fighting our own sin in our own life and fighting against the the, the ways of the world. Or he's trying to make uh, so he's trying to make us ineffective or he's trying to destroy us and just cause yeah. wreckage and damage. And so uh, we have to maneuver and we have to call in the big guns. And I think that's kind of what we're oh, getting yeah. to is is obviously we go we look up, right? We look in a yeah. three-dimensional battle space. And that's mm. hard for a lot of young soldiers or even Marines, I guess. I don't know. You guys know a lot more about this stuff than me. But <laughs> you come in, you come into the combat scenario, a lot of guys think in two dimensions, right? They're thinking forward, sideways, but they're not thinking about what can I bring in from above, right? Can I call in this artillery strike? Can I bring yeah. in the mortars? Can I bring in the third dimension? And then clearing rooms, same thing. So when we think about this, we want to think in all dimensions. And I think one of the really big dimensions is the church. Oh, um, yeah. I would much rather suffer in my marriage in a church setting, which Satan wants us to isolate away from, right? When we start having marital conflict, the first thing, the last thing we want to do is go to church. The last thing we want to do is reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so marriage conflict would be ideal um, to have when you're reaching out to the church. Yeah. And I think the church uh, uh, by and large, you know, most local assemblies would say, yeah, we want to get in this fight with you. Yep. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And so let's just for a second, Matt, let's um, expose the lies that we may listen to, right? The false narratives, the false beliefs that may go through our heads when we're in a crisis marriage or we're in a extreme marital strife. And I think one of those things we talked about with shame, but um, is that the man, they, the church won't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole, right? Like my pastor doesn't want to help walk with me. I, my community group has no desire uh, to navigate these stormy waters with me. And that's simply a lie. And I would base that uh, first and foremost, when, when we're talking about the context of marriage, that we know that marriage represents Christ's relationship to the church. And so a lot is at stake. Uh, The name of our Lord is at stake here um, in how we navigate these things. And so, um, man, the church wants us as individuals and as couples to uh, mirror this relationship that Christ has with the church and to glorify God. And even in um, in how we respond to grievous sin that's committed. And so uh, one of the big lies I think is, Hey man, no one, no one's going to help you. 
or no one really wants to be involved in this. Like <laughs> I'm not, you know, no, no one loves drama, of course, but um, man, we love Christ more than uh, the pain. And so we'll, yeah, let's run into that. <laughs> let's run into that fire and, and get everybody out. Um, what's another lie that you could think of a person or a couple might be thinking um, about um, the situation or others? Yeah. What, what are they going to think about me? You know, mm. I gave all these marriage classes or I did all this Bible study and now all of a sudden my marriage isn't doing so well. Um, my husband's not acting right. My wife is not acting right. Uh, what are they going to think about me? You know, I'm going to put on this facade and say, oh, yeah, everything's fine. But in reality, we're throwing dishes at each other in the kitchen. I mean, hmm. um, we would rather you be open and honest than put up a facade. I think both Neil and I are like, be honest. If you're struggling, you're struggling. Even even the best marriages have struggles um, and there can be a way through. But but there is a lie that comes into that is, well, like yeah. people are going to think bad about me. Well, I think people are going to be much more concerned about your devastation of your marriage. Um, and, and honestly, Neil, one of the things I do want to bring up in this is I typically see couples when they have led down this road for a, quite a while. They are walking wounded. Um, they are ambulatory, right? They have been um, injured. They have stepped on the landmines and they have walked for miles damaged and hurting each other. Um, and so it's like really close to being over for them. And it's like through, they finally became humble enough to ask for help. Um, and it could have been a, a much easier fix and a quicker um, repair in your marriage if you had come forward right at the beginning when things started to be um, a struggle. And so, yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's that, that fear of man, that embarrassment um, about it. Maybe some anxiety too. Maybe you've been hurt by the church before. Maybe they have yeah. handled a previous relationship very badly, um, and so now you're 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 really hesitating reaching out to a local congregation, um, mm. even though they've walked with you through some other stuff. Yeah, and I love that you uh, kind of pinged on transparency and honesty. I know I've counseled uh, you know couples in the past, and what I find <laughs> what I've found with, you know, to piggyback on your fear of man statement is that they'll like to lessen what has occurred. Um, so that maybe, you know, Hey, there's some problems here. We need some help, but, <laughs> but you're unable to triage the situation, uh, to its fullest extent that, that is required. Um, and so you'll give a, maybe a partial picture, and, uh, and that doesn't help us because there comes a point when we have to bring God's word to bear on these situations in our lives. And if we don't have a full picture within the context of the community in which God has saved us into, then, um, you know, is, you're fighting handicapped, you know? And when I say fighting, not fighting one another, I mean, fighting this, this problem, right? And uh, we, we talked uh, a lot about communication uh, in the last episode, I believe, and how, you know, marriage is not, should not be this competitive uh, type of atmosphere or culture, um, but we should be striving towards communicating so that we can identify what issues are at play and we can work unified as one flesh combating those issues. And so what, what tends to happen is like grievous sin has occurred. And now 
the the targets have been placed on one another and the fight is now with each other instead of what the issue is regardless of and, and the reason for that i think is because we're hurt yeah. one of the things you have pointed out matt uh and from bob kellerman's book on um oh gosh counseling marriage marriage counseling is that um we have these rights that we want to claim yep. and when our when we feel an injustice has occurred against us we feel disrespected we feel like our rights have been uh, removed um we're angry we're upset you know we want to just burn that sucker to the ground right and uh what would help us to you know take a step back and um think through the scenario th three-dimensionally like you were talking about and uh i love the phrase in the infantry uh, the marine corps at least uh, we used to say we're in a he race when we get into a fight and so what that means is um if you know a enemy combatant brings a ak-47 to the fight like we're gonna we're gonna shoot rockets at them and if they bring rockets to the fight we're gonna call in artillery and so on and so forth we're always going to try and uh race to the to the more devastating <laughs> uh type of ammunition we have in our arsenal or, or what employ various assets into this fight that would make us or help us to be victorious. And yeah. so in the same way, when we're in a crisis marriage scenario, we have to employ assets and uh, we, we got to fight. Uh, we got to fight dirty. Right. <laughs> you know, we got to fight to win. Right. And so um, some of those things, I think techniques and tools we can utilize is number one, it's going to be scripture. Um, but before we kind of highlight maybe some text, Matt, no. um, what is the benefit of introducing mediation in this type of situation? I think mediation is, is a lot of ways like pulling the handbrake, right? Your mm. car is careening down the hill and you're pulling the handbrake to slow it all down. Um, and this allows someone, um, whether it be your pastor, elder, um, someone who is on the outside, who is able to sit there and guide your conversation a little bit better. We know that sin is deceiving. It blinds you. And so a lot of times we're not going to see the sin in our own eye, the planks in our own eye, as to use the biblical meta metaphor. But right. we will we will be blinded and we're just lashing out. And a mediator will slow us down and will say, now your turn to talk. Now your yep. turn. To talk. Hey, do you notice how you're cutting that person off? And they can help walk you through this. Um, and, and honestly, I, I think the gospel comes to bear in this and that's mm -hmm. what i i, I want to point out is if if the source of a lot of our problems is shame and guilt then guess what there's mechanisms in our faith to deal with shame and guilt and, and his name is jesus christ um, he has mm -hmm. taken on our own shame and our own guilt and so we can be freed from that we can have that resurrection power as kelvin likes to use and, and we can be free from the shame and the guilt, but it takes humility. And I think that's a really big struggle in marriage conflict is your pride is hurt. And, oh, yeah. And, you're, um, and, and we can really look at it from two perspectives. Where is the protection 
for me. I know a lot of women will use their tongue to lash out against a man because the man may be more physically intimidating or they may be scared. And so if I give up my weapons of warfare and I don't cut him down and criticize him, who's going to protect me? Right. And the same thing with the husband. He may be frustrated because he doesn't have control. He doesn't know what's going on. And so maybe he's angry and his anger, um, he continues to build up this defensive mechanism because of his, his fear. He doesn't want to fail. And, and so we've come to the table. Um, we've, we've asked for mediation from our church. Hopefully um, you have an elder or a pastor who is willing to do this. And, and I would encourage any elders or pastors listening. You need to jump in there and roll up your sleeves and engage in this fight because we're reflecting the church. This is evangelism in many ways. Mm -hmm. Our witness is damaged um, through divorce of two Christian couples. Um, mm -hmm. So the gospel does touch on this 100%. Really, it's integral to our understanding of marriage uh, conflict resolution. Yeah, and you know, going back to that Second Corinthians seven uh, text, where you know, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. When we have a mediator with us, or a counselor, pastor, elder, um, who is helping us to slow down for a moment um, when we want to, uh, you know, <laughs> stick and move, you know, uh, against our spouse. That mediator has an opportunity to to do what uh, Matt just said to proclaim the good news, to provide hope to what may seem like a hopeless situation. And when we bring the gospel into um, these grievous, sinful moments, we will what what the Holy Spirit tends to do is lead us towards conviction and the right kind of conviction, not the kind that says, hey, you're about to lose your family, bud, you better change. Um, but the kind that says you grieve the heart of God in your actions and in your beliefs and in your desires. And we need to return from those things and we need to put on Christ likeness in response. And we, that that meteor can walk that through with the uh, guilty party and also provide hope for the innocent party. Um, in the situation of saying like, man, the Lord is at work, you know, he is doing things. He's producing in us, uh, growth yeah. and, uh, and there's hope to be had, you know, um, I, the, the best tool or weapon <laughs> in this situation you can use, you know, to play off what Matt said, you may feel like you don't have a weapon to fight back at them with if you can't curse them and you know all those right. things like you're pointing out you know the 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 greatest weapon we have is in our hope i'm reminded of paul in romans 12 uh starting in verse 12 he says to rejoice in hope to be patient in affliction be persistent in prayer share with the saints in their needs pursue hospitality bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, 
leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay it, says the Lord. Um, But in verse 20, I really love it says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Um, Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And so for the innocent party in in this kind of situation, not that everybody's just, it's so blameless like that, or it's it's black and white like that. It may, it may be, but uh, the person who the, the grievous sin has been committed against, um, man, we, we should strive to not be conquered by evil. And, and you must know that um, the influence of Satan and our own sinful flesh uh, leads us to evil actions quite often and uh, that we don't want to be conquered by those things in response to those things, but we can conquer them with good. And that good starts with what we hope in and uh, who we trust in. And my hope for you is that you would trust in Jesus um, who alone can bring peace to rebels. Um, and he's done that in our own, in our own lives. If, if we trust in him, so Matt, I was thinking about a couple of uh, texts to to think through when um, these things kind of occur in our marriages. Uh, hopefully, not not often, right? But I feel like every marriage is um, it may not be as grievous, but uh, there's there's definitely friction and tension that occurs, and sin gets committed often, you know, against one right. another. But I was thinking about Philippians 2, 3 through 14, and maybe with the question of like, how could you, how could you use this passage to be used with a couple? Um, and how could it change the way you're dealing with the relationship? Are you there in your Bible? I'm there in my Bible. You want to read that and, and maybe answer how that might, how that text might could impact or change the way someone's dealing with that relationship? Yeah, so Hebrews 2, 3 through 14 is what you say, correct? No, Philippians 2, 3 through 14. That's what I mean. I don't know why I said Hebrews. I mean, Philippians I was 2. like, we're about to read something weird, man. Yeah, I just <laughs> uh, I just preached through this passage not too long ago, so it's a, it's a good one. It says, yeah. do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. 
do everything without grumbling and arguing. And then it continues. But there's several things to point out in this passage, um, especially in a time of um, struggle. In fact, I use this passage often with my own kids. Um, And I point to the fact that everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. I said, wouldn't you love to be in a home? I tell my boys this. I said, wouldn't you love to be in a home where you are looking out for the interests of others? I said, when that your brother is continually seeking your best thing, I said, how awesome of a home would that be? And they were, you know, of course, they're going to be like, yeah, that's going to be great. But where's the power to do that? Well, the power to do that comes from having the same attitude as Christ. And Christ, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. And I love how the CSB translates that passage because it's not saying that God didn't have the ability. He didn't have the power. It said that he did not use it to his own advantage. And as husbands, our job is to die. It is to die to self and to take up that cross. And the same thing for wives. But I really like to get to the end of verse 12. And it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so a lot of people will take this and say, well, I got to do a lot of work for salvation. And then on the, on, the, on the other side, people will be like, well, I don't understand why it says that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And what we need to see here is that this is, the, this is sanctification. This is the process of becoming more like Christ. And so our job is to labor in the fields. And I, and I liken this a lot to a farmer who plants a seed, does all the, the breaking of the ground, doing the hard labor. So in your marriage, you need to do the work. You need to put in the work. You need to put in the time. And you need to say, I am going to humble myself and I'm going to exist, um, not to exploit my spouse, to use her for my advantage. Or, or him for my advantage, but I am going to sacrifice myself on the altar for Christ, having the same attitude of Jesus. I am going to imitate Jesus here. And you put in the work knowing that God is working in you, both to will and to work according to his purpose. So what you work out, he works in. And these this kind of synergistic um, two-hand model is um, is part of our growth in our marriages. Um, so you can trust God and and move forward towards your husband or your wife, even if they've yeah. sinned grievously against you. And, and we're not talking about unsafe situations where there's uh, massive levels of abuse and stuff like that. But if there is um, a, a desire for you to, to make this right, to reconcile this relationship, you need to move towards them. Um, mm. and as much as possible in person, um, but however you can move towards that person with a mediator if necessary. And you want to say, I trust God to make this work. I will leave room for the injustice to be solved by God and Christ. And I'm going to trust in him and deal with it. And, and friends, I'm, I'm not telling you that this is easy. Um, this mm-hmm. is probably the hardest thing that you will ever do. If you look at a farmer, they, don't, they will tell you that Farming is not a couch and a relaxing job. It's hard work. You are putting in manual labor, putting yourself um, to task. And so that's what you need to do in your marriages. If, if you truly believe 
that your marriage reflects Christ in the church, you can trust Christ in this because he is working and he is going to do according to his good purpose. And so this is what you have to remember as you approach your spouse, being willing to let time take its toll. We don't know if your spouse is truly repentant or not. If they sinned against you and they come to you and say they're sorry and you've heard it a thousand times, this is a hard step to entrust them to God because God knows the heart. He judges the heart. And um, and that's my encouragement to you is to move toward your spouse with wisdom. If it's, yeah. a, if it's an abusive situation, obviously um, there needs to be uh, police, uh, pastors, you, you name it, some, some serious yeah. protections involved. Yeah, safety would be paramount in this safety. in that situation for your family. I would too, say, yeah. yeah, totally. I would say, uh, you know, whether you are the one who has sinned grievously, or you are the one who's been sinned against, um, and if both of you are believers, um, and and trying to work towards some so, sort of reconciliation, right? Um, from this text, I think the the most beautiful thing for you to do is to do as verse five says to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And uh, man, that takes us trying to understand and to realize what the attitude of Christ Jesus is and then employ those, employ that attitude into the marital relationship. Um, But if you are the one who has sinned um, and you don't know what to do, and the first step is to stop. And so if you've been caught in an affair or if you've been, you know, oh gosh, anything under the sun, you know, uh, you're spending all your money on drugs or um, bad purchases <laughs> or, or whatever it is. Like yeah. the first step is to cease, um, to cease and, and, and then to employ help. Yeah. And so to start taking the steps towards, um, man, trusting in the Lord and, and seeking his will um, in your marriage. Um, I think it's Hebrews 13, three, I want to say when it commands that a marriage should be honored by all. And <laughs> that, that I think it says to, that there's curse, <laughs> there's a curse for those who defile it. Um, right. And so, man, if you found yourself at, in the moment where you have defiled your marriage, um, it's okay. At this point, you can repent. You can turn from your sin and you can trust in the Lord and you can honor your bride now or your husband now. Um, do not wait. <laughs> take right. take drastic marriages in the, or take drastic measures in your marriage to glorify God. And so and and lastly, uh, and then we'll we'll kind of close this thing out. But if you are a church leader and you're listening um, I think one of the things that man, we, we want to do and help in a situation like that is to employ church discipline as quickly as possible. But I just want to remind you that church discipline is a um, last-ditch effort um, when we're talking about sinfulness. Um, this is something we do when, when we have people walking in unrepentant sin. And there are many steps we can take prior to exercising church discipline. Um, I love Ernie Baker said that threatening church discipline ought to be the last trigger pulled 
not the first shot fired. And so if you're trying to help a marriage that's in crisis um, and you're dealing with a husband or a wife who is in, in grievous sin, right? We don't walk in there and say, I'm putting you under church discipline. You know what I mean? We call them to repentance and faith. We walk with them through that. Um, we give them action measures um, and we start to put out fire. Uh, it is our last shot that we should fire. Um, and so that when we do it, we can do it with confidence and and with the hope that this is the last thing we can do for restoration here in this family dynamic. So and it's also, um, it's also necessary that, and that's the other, I think the other swing. Yeah, don't shy away from doing it. Especially if but, the sin is massively public. Um, right. You, the, the process is, is abbreviated for church discipline. And so totally just encourage you to stand firm in that because it's not a popular, not a popular, oh, popular policy. Oh no, man. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing that makes people in the church more uncomfortable, at least in our culture. than uh, having to walk through church discipline with other people. I mean, I've had those conversations. I know Matt has. They're not exactly fun. But man, have both of us seen God glorified in that? Have we seen restoration? Have we seen repentance? Yeah. And it's worthwhile to commit to. And that's one way you can help a family because, man, sometimes you got to shake the rotten fruit out of the tree, you know? And, and. And you can't hesitate. You got to do it when when it needs to be done. But it should be the last thing we try to do. We there's many things we can employ before we get to that position. That's right. So guys, uh, Matt and I are, are excited because uh, you know next next episode we're gonna kind of talk through healing. Okay. So what we talked about is like when grievous sin has occurred and we're in the moment, we're in crisis, right? What do we do now, right now in crisis? But one of the things that becomes difficult for families and couples is, okay, we're past the crisis, right? Um, but what does walking in forgiveness look like? How, how does that reconciliation process take place over the course of time? Um, because, Again, we still struggle with the same rights violated, the same shame, the same, all of those things. And so we're going to kind of walk through maybe what a healing process could look like next week. So tune in and and uh, I hope it's a blessing to you guys. Um, and if you're listening and you haven't subscribed to our podcast and you, you dig what we're putting down, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Um, give us an honest five-star review if that's what's in your tank and uh, man, we just appreciate you guys listening in and, and you know, none of this stuff is easy stuff to talk about or to consider, especially when you're in the midst of some sort of painful scenario. Um, but what we know is there is a way the Bible teaches us to glorify God in the most possible ways. And we want to, we want to strive towards that direction. We want to actually, Love the gospel, love the good news, and let it be our lifeline. Thanks for listening. Neil and Matt, out.